0: So I was thinking back this week uh, to my college days, which it's amazing how far as the years pass, those get in the rear view mirror, but I was thinking back to my to my college days and I was remembering one particular event in my college days. Uh, I was serving as a, a youth pastor and I had my own apartment, apartment a little bit outside of town and uh, I had met this really nice young lady uh, named Tiffany, and uh, I was doing everything I could to try to impress this girl, right? And so there had been a a few times when I invited her and another couple over to dinner, and I wanted to impress them by how good I could cook dinner, right? And so I remember this one particular time, I wanted to pull out all the stops. So I called my mom, and I said, Mom, Can I have your recipe for homemade macaroni and cheese? And I made this casserole pan of it, right? Way too much for four people. But it was awesome. It's it's still awesome. And I made this, and we had dinner that night. It was great. And it, uh, you know, such a good night. I I just put the leftovers in the kitchen, and I figured, you know, I'll get them tomorrow, right? I just want to enjoy the night. Well, the next day came, and I ended up just kind of putting some more dishes on top and the days went by, you know, and just being this college bachelor, the, the dishes kept kind of just mounding up and mounding up, and as, as the days rolled around, there came another opportunity where Tiffany was going to be coming over, and so I thought, I have got to get this apartment cleaned up, because not only is it a mess, but now in the kitchen where there was that delightful macaroni and cheese, there's now an aroma, <laughs> because it's still in the sink, Right? Even though I had a disposal, it's it's still there. And so, as uh, you know, I held my breath and and took away one cup and one bowl, and finally got down to the macaroni, which now looked like a casserole dish full of caterpillars. If you, will. yeah, I know, it's really bad. It's really bad. But I, I began to clean up little by little and deodorize the apartment so that I could pull the illusion off that I kind of knew what I was doing when Tiffany finally came over. And I remember going through that process of cleaning up the the apartment. Once I finally got the nasty kitchen done, I figured, well, it's time to vacuum. And uh, I lived in this apartment that had shag orange carpet. Who knows how long it had been there since before I was there, you know, but I'm in there and I figure I've got to vacuum the carpet. And When you take on a project, uh, you know, when you don't clean your house that often, uh, it's going to be, you know, an all-morning-at-least kind of thing, just to do a little bitty apartment. And So I was smart. I put on some really good tunes, and and I had—this is back in the 90s, right, the early 90s, so I had one of those component stereo systems, right, the double-tape decks and the six-CD changer and the equalizer and the speakers that were about this tall. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? All right, you were around back then. And so— I had some music just cranked up, and it's been playing while I've been cleaning, and I've been singing along, and I'm worshiping, and, you know, excited about this young lady who's going to be coming over, and uh, so I got the kitchen done. I'm on to the vacuuming now, and so I'm going through my apartment, and I'm vacuuming, and this old song from the 90s came on, on my really nice six CD changer, as it's going randomly through the discs, right? As it's going through the disc, and there's this song that comes on that that just goes, I can't stop thinking about you. And I'm vacuuming. And here we are in the time machine. We've gone back. I've got it for you right here. Tim, Tim put us in the time machine. So I'm vacuuming and vacuuming, and this chorus comes on. And I start singing along, right, probably with a fake microphone, right? I'm not going to sing. I can't stop thinking about you. I can't imagine living life without you, right? And I'm just vacuuming and singing and vacuuming and singing. And as this course plays, I am just all of a sudden overwhelmed to the point where I almost can't even function, not because I'm tired of cleaning the apartment, but as I'm saying these words... I can't imagine living without you. I I can't stop thinking about you. All of a sudden, it was just like the Spirit of God filled my nasty little shag carpet apartment. And I felt the Spirit of God saying to me, Adam, I can't stop thinking about you. I can't imagine the kingdom of God without you. And this wasn't because of anything else that was going on. Just all of a sudden, I felt this overwhelming sense of the love of God. Where I realized, even though I'd known all my life growing up in church, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And I believe that. I genuinely did. But in this moment of vacuuming the carpet... I had this overwhelming moment where I realized that the love of God knew my name, knew who I was. And in spite of all my mess ups and all my frailties and in spite of my hypocrisy. In spite of me being lazy and and lustful and being a hypocrite in so many ways. I felt the spirit of God saying to me, Adam, I can't stop thinking about you. I can't imagine what the kingdom of God would be like without you. And I was overwhelmed by the sense of realizing, but God, I don't deserve that. But in that same moment, I realized it wasn't about what I deserved. It was about what God was saying he wants to give to me and who he wants to be in my life. This uh, moment of cleaning my apartment really changed the trajectory of my concept of God in my life in so many ways. Maybe I should vacuum the carpet more, but I haven't done that a whole lot since either. But um, I realized in this moment that the love of God was so much bigger than I could ever comprehend or understand. And it was far beyond anything that I ever deserved. I can look back at that moment and say that the love of God transform my life and has continued to transform my life in many different ways, in many different places, in many different situations, many different levels. The love of God just continues to pursue me. And I know if that's true for me, that it's true for you as well. Like that song that we just finished our worship set singing, like Romans 8, 31 through 39, that tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing that you have ever done, nowhere you have ever been, nobody you have ever been with can separate you from God's love, can put a wall between you and God. There is nothing that can separate us. Now, we often have a hard time grasping that. We can understand that for other people, but when it comes to our own lives, we, we've got a list of butts, right? With one T. We've got this list of butts that We just think, but God, I'm divorced. But God, I've failed too many times. But God, you know the things that I think in my head. But God, but God, but God. And we've got this list of reasons why that love of God just doesn't quite connect for us. And no matter what the reason is, the love of God says, no, I can't stop thinking about you. I can't imagine the kingdom of God without you. I created you for this purpose. If you've ever felt like you don't quite qualify for that kind of love, or you've disqualified yourself for some reason, today I want us to look at a person who, if anybody should have been disqualified, this is the guy. If anybody, we could say, yeah, that's one of the least qualified. Put his name right next to Hitler or somebody. That's one of the least qualified people that God should love. That's the guy that we're going to look at today. His name is Saul. His name will soon become Paul as God transforms his life. But uh, we'll rewind just a little bit. Two weeks ago, Acts chapter 7. Stephen is murdered. To get him quiet, to shut him up. And at the end of that chapter, it says this. It tells us that the people who threw the rocks to stone Stephen to death, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why did they lay their coats at his feet? It's kind of a weird thing, right? Well, Saul's the guy who's at the back of the room as they're picking up rocks, who now says, three, two, one fire. Throw your rocks. He's the guy who's in charge calling the shots for Stephen, a man that we see as described as full of the Holy Spirit because it was so characteristic of him. So we're going to make an example out of this guy. Kill him. That is Saul. He's the guy who's calling this shot. Acts chapter 8, we looked at that last week. In verse 3 it says, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. First it was Stephen to set an example, to make a statement to the church. And now he wants to make it very clear to anyone who will follow after the words of Christ, who will follow after the way of Christ. He says, I'm coming for you next. So you better just get ready. And we see in Acts chapter 8 that the church then scatters. They're basically running for their lives. We believe in God, but we're not going to stay here and get ourselves killed because Saul is coming for us. He's going house to house. And when you hear that knock on the door, it's not good news. He doesn't stop. He is going to hunt you down and he's going to find you. You can leave Jerusalem, but we're still coming after you. That's Saul's mentality. In this moment, if you're following after God, he's saying, I will find you. I will throw you in prison or I will kill you. There is not a good outcome for this. He continues in our chapter today. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest And he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation to arrest any followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So anybody who's following after Jesus is following after the way, as it's first called. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So if you're a believer, Saul is your worst nightmare. He is coming after you. So as we get into this story today, I want to be very clear that if anybody should have been disqualified from having the love of God, a God who loves you to say, pour it out on your life and say, I love you beyond what you could ever comprehend, a love that could never be separated. This guy should have had separation, right? I mean, this guy has done some bad stuff, not just bad stuff that hurt himself and maybe hurt other people, but bad stuff that was trying to hurt God's cause and God's kingdom with all of his might. That's what he is trying to do. And if God can love this guy, if God can love Saul, God can love this college kid that was trying to figure things out. God can love you. In the midst of everything that's going on in your life. In the midst of how many ever times that you have failed. Or whatever you're struggling with. Whatever addiction you just can't seem to get past. The love of God is for you. If he loves Saul. He's got to love us as well. His love for us. No matter what you've done has not quit. His purpose for you is not lost. So Saul. He's going to Damascus. He's got letters from the high priest. In other words, the the highest Jewish religious authority has said, okay, we're going to sign the death certificates. We're going to sign the arrest warrants. Go and put an end to this. Why is he going to Damascus? If we could pull up that map, Tim. Damascus, by the way, you'll see it right there about midway up the map. It is the largest continually inhabited city in the world. Per my reading today. I did not or this week. I did not know that. But it is massive. I mean we see that and we think I've never really heard of Damascus. Maybe a few times in the Bible. It's a little Bible town, right? It wa it was a metropolis back then. It's still a metropolis today. Saul knows this. So they're leaving from Jerusalem. You'll see that about two-thirds of the way down. They're going to go to Damascus. Now, Damascus is a crossroads. Anywhere you're trying to go to escape, you can go north, You you can go north, and then over to the west or to the east. Damascus is going to be The interchange that you go through. So Saul knows if I can go to Damascus, I'm going to be able to throw my net out and get the most people possible. So Saul is headed to Damascus. And just a side note for you here, just interesting details. This is Damascus five years ago. All right. Not a little city, right? This this is a major thriving area. This is Damascus one year ago. All right. You are probably familiar about hearing with the Syrian refugees. That's the people we're talking about right here. By the thousands, people still trying to escape and survive every single day. And I'm not trying to make a political statement, but I think we would be remiss not to recognize the very beginning of the church begins with Syrian refugees. People who are running for their lives in order to survive and to be able to hold on to their faith. So here we are with these Syrian refugees, and let's pick back up and see what happens in verse 3. As he, approached, as he was approaching Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly shone down all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And Saul has a little uh uh-oh moment, right? When you come face to face with the person that you've been causing trouble, even bigger than that, and it's Jesus. His voice, a light shines. Saul can't see anything, but he can hear the voice. And he says, It's me, Jesus. The first thing I want all of us to understand today that we can look at Saul's story and we can say if it's true for him, it's true for me as well, is this. We have a God who knows our name. You have a God who knows your name. And we have a God who is pursuing us just like he pursued Saul. No matter where you've been or what you've done, God knows your name. Even more detailed than that, the Bible tells us He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. The Bible also tells us in Isaiah 49, 15 and 16, it says, Can a mother forget her child? Of course not. Just as God cannot forget you, so much so that the Bible tells us that God has your name written, engraved on the palm of His hand. It's not just that God says, okay, I created you. I hope you do good. God knows who you are. God knows what you're struggling with. God knows what's going on inside of you. God knew the motivations of Saul. And he meets him on the way and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's me, Jesus. Verse 6. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Saul gets up. He realizes that the light from heaven has actually struck him blind. So his associates with him have to follow the instructions of God and take him into the city. God gives him very specific instructions. When he gets there, he meets up with a man named Ananias. It's a different Ananias than we had just a few chapters ago. And you can imagine Ananias is a believer. As you can imagine, he was a little bit hesitant to meet up with Saul. But God says, I want you to go meet with Saul. And then we see this happen in verse 15. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. So God is telling Ananias this, that Saul, the guy who has been hunting Christians, now I'm going to use him. I have a purpose for him I'm going to use him to fulfill that challenge that we saw in Acts chapter 1, that the good news would spread across the world. So Ananias goes, he finds Saul, he prays for him, he regains his sight. It says that scales fell from from Saul's eyes. He's filled with the Spirit, he's baptized, and in verse 20 it says, And immediately he began to preach about Jesus in synagogues, saying, He is indeed Son of God, so here's Saul with a complete life transformation, a complete one eighty. He has gone from being the guy who was was literally had bounties on these followers of Jesus to now the guy who is preaching Jesus, saying, "I was wrong. Jesus is the Lord." It says he immediately began to preach, which leads us to point two. First of all, we have a God who knows our name. Second of all, we have a God who sees your purpose. Nobody else would have seen this in Saul, right? This was the last guy that you would expect to stand up and be giving the good news and helping people understand how to find and follow Jesus. But that's exactly what Saul does, exactly what God says. I'm going to use him to do that. And here's the good news. Every single one of you, you have a purpose There is a reason that you are breathing air on this planet, and God knows exactly what that purpose in your life is, and who's better qualified to tell you what that purpose is than God, right? If He's the one that created you, it would make sense that He's the one that should be able to identify with us in what we are created to do. Now, If you're like me, you could say, well, that would be really easy if an angel showed up and said, this is what your purpose in life is. And it doesn't always happen with us like it happened with Saul. But I would also say that if you will look at your life and you will seek God, I think your purpose will become clear. And a lot of times you're going to find your purpose in the pain that you have been through. Here's Saul. He has caused a lot of pain. He's lived with a lot of pain and anger and turmoil. And God says, I'm going to use that, the pain that you have been through, to now transform the world around you. What is the pain that you have been through? Because I bet you can find at least part of your purpose there. What is the mess that you have been through? That's where you will find part of the message that God wants to bring out of your life. Stansy shared with us last week, I don't believe that it was God's will that God, uh, I don't believe that God gave Stanzi cancer when she was a young woman, but I believe that God used all the pain that she has gone through and has developed a purpose in her that is now changing the lives of others. Many of you have heard Al's testimony. For many years, he lived as an atheist. God has taken that pain That he went through in all those years to now give him a platform and a purpose that many of us will never have. Because God took those hard years and has now turned them into something beautiful. Where's the struggle in your life? What is the pain that you have had to face and go through those hard seasons? I want you to realize that God does not waste those seasons. But God can bring purpose and beauty out of those seasons in your life. God loves you. You, not just everybody in general, but specifically you. So much that he knows your name and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. Back to Acts chapter 9. As you can imagine, this is really messing with the powers that be. The the religious elite in the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Because Saul, Saul is their ace, right? The ace that they had in their hand. And all of a sudden, Saul has flipped And now he is the one not killing Christians. He is now spreading the message of Christianity himself. He's gone from being the hit man to now being on the hit list. Look in verse 24. They were watching him. Uh, They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. Now they say, we're going to kill Saul as he continues this. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. I mean, would you believe him right? Here's this guy who has been hunting Christians and all of a sudden... Knock, knock, knock on the door. You open the door, and there's Saul. You say, hey, hey, don't worry about it. I've changed, you know? I mean, are you going to say, sure, come on in, right? These guys didn't want to have anything to do with Saul. Because how easy easy of a catfish is that to pull, right? Hey, I'm not here to hurt you. I just want to connect with you. Show me where all your friends are, right? So here's Saul showing back up, and nobody really wants to have anything to do with him. But meet Barnabas in verse 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles. And I'll hit pause right there. So here's these apostles, the believers in their homes. They're always keeping guard. They're always looking over their shoulder. One day there's a knock on the door and there's Saul, but Saul's not alone. Barnabas is standing with his arm around Saul and he says, he's with me. This guy is with me. And I know that you've heard that he's changed and you're nervous about that. But I want you to know I put my name right next to his. I stand right beside him. I want you guys to know I believe in Saul. And told them Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now this is all playing out like this is happening one day after the other. What I want you guys to understand, this was happening over months, over years even. There's a long duration of time where everybody's having to get a grip on this. And it's Barnabas who shows up and puts his name on the line to stand with Saul. This isn't the first time we've seen Barnabas in the book of Acts. We also saw him way back in Acts 4 in verse 36. It says this. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So Barnabas' real name is Joseph. But for whatever reason, Barnabas is so encouraging to people, they give him a nickname. Hey, Joseph, we're going to call you Mr. Encouragement from now on. Because every time I'm around you, you just lift me up. You make me feel better about who God is calling us to be. Some of you probably know some people like that, right? We're going to call you Barnabas. And we see that it doesn't just happen in Acts chapter 4. But this is who Barnabas is. He's the guy who walks with you when your life has just crashed and says, You're with me. Let's go get a cup of coffee. I know things are hard right now, but I'm with you. And I'm not going to quit praying for you. I'm not going to quit holding you up until you get through this. That was Barnabas. He's an encourager. He's a connector, right? He's like a point guard on the basketball team that never scores any points. He's just always looking down the court and throwing it to the person who's open and letting them score the baskets. He's always looking for a way to connect them to their greater purpose. That's Barnabas right here. The third thing I want you to understand, God knows your name. God sees your purpose. And at times we all need a Barnabas in our life. And I will even say, you need to be a Barnabas in someone's life. Sometimes, right, when you're going through those hard seasons, you're just like, God, it would be so nice if you could just send me a sign so I know what to do, so I know how to get through this. But I will say, sometimes signs, you know, we don't Is that really a sign or not? I don't know how to interpret that, kind of like this sign right here. You know, that's encouraging, but at the same time, maybe it's, it's not encouraging, right? I mean, it's all in how, how you read that. You don't matter, give up, or you matter, don't give up. Sometimes we don't need a sign. Yeah, some of you are slow to get that one there. It's all right. Uh, I won't make fun of you because I'll try to be an encourager. Uh, We don't need a sign. We need flesh and blood that is going to stand with us and write us a note and call us on the phone and send us a text saying you can make it. I believe in the purpose that God has for your life. We need those people in our lives. I remember just not too long ago going through a dark season in my life when God put somebody in my life that was just, hey, let's go get coffee. How are you doing today? You know, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? We need those Barnabases in our lives, and we need to look for opportunities to be a Barnabas to the people around us. Last thing I want you to know today. God knows your name. He knows the purpose that he has for your life. He will send a Barnabas to your life. And the last thing I want you to know is that we all have a story that matters. You see, Saul here is soon to become Paul. And he's going to end up getting arrested and he's going to end up thrown in prison and facing all sorts of persecution and trials. But as he goes on, Saul... Then Paul is going to stand before prisoners. He's going to stand before rulers. He's going to stand before kings. And he is going to tell them about what happened in Acts chapter 9. He's going to tell them in Acts 22 and Acts 26, One day I was walking down the road to Damascus to kill the believers. And this light from God showed up. And God knew my name. And God knew my purpose. And then there was Barnabas who came along in my life to encourage me and connect me to the other people. Saul had a story. He was able to go on and share that story. Now, your story obviously is not Saul's story. Your story is not Stanzi's story. Your story is not Al's story. Your story is not Adam's story. But your story is your story. And there are people in your life that need your story. Because what you've been through and what you've made it through and how God has loved you is exactly what they need to hear. Your story matters to the people that God has put in your life. Which that brings us full circle all the way back to Acts chapter 1 as Jesus was getting ready to ascend to heaven and leave the believers And he told them this, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to give you power and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses, meaning you're simply going to tell people what you've experienced, what you've seen, what you've heard, how God has changed your life. You have a story. And often our story begins When we realize that the love of God cannot be stopped in our lives. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But nothing can separate me from God's love. He knows my name. He has a plan to use my life to encourage other people. He'll send people to encourage me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to every single one of us. Father, that you would help us to be the church as we simply share the story that you have developed in our lives, how you've seen us through every season. Father, how you've walked us through the hard times. But Father, you have been faithful. Despite our bad decisions, despite our addictions, despite whatever the baggage is that we carry, Father, your love for us doesn't quit. Your calling upon our lives does not quit. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be yours, to know you. Lord, that we could call you our God. You would call us your very own, your children. There may be some of you here today that just say, I need a fresh start. I need to surrender my life to God and get my life back on track. Or maybe you need to surrender to God for the very first time in your life you. I just want you to take a moment in your own words. You don't have to have the right words or say it the right way, but would you just surrender your life to God and let him speak to you in this moment that he loves you and he cannot stop thinking about you and he cannot imagine the kingdom of God without you. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us that his blood makes us a new creation. Lord, we surrender all that we are to you. Help us to be all you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.